Welcome back to REP Podcast. This is episode two. I'm your host, Leslie Nuzzo, and I'm happy to be here with Reagan Carey today. Say hi, Reagan. Hi, everyone. So Reagan uh, runs the TAP program that's located in Charleston, Mattoon area. CTF TAP, I believe is what it's called. TAP at CTF, is that correct? TAP at CTF, Illinois, yes. Okay, at Illinois. And you are the director there. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, what we're trying to do with the REP podcast, basically, is I'm just trying to find like a different platform or a different delivery way to get information to parents besides maybe scrolling through Facebook or, um, you know, by other means, but maybe um, podcasts sometimes are easier to listen to when we're going in and out um, in the car. Um, And it's kind of more, I guess, techie now that a lot of people do. So um, that's what REP is trying to do with these podcasts. And we're sharing a a resource um, each time uh, just to kind of get that out to parents and educate them on a new resource. So Reagan, why don't you start off by maybe telling us a little bit about yourself and then we can get into TAP. Sure. Uh, My name is Reagan Carey. I'm the director of the autism program at CTF Illinois. Um, And I'm also a board certified behavior analyst. I've worked in disability services for about 25 years now. Um, That's including supporting people with autism. So I've kind of been around residentially, day program wise, community wise, and then most importantly, supporting parents on their journey uh, with children with autism. So I currently work for the autism program and for CTF Illinois as a BCBA. So I'm a behavior therapist. And what about your personal life, your family? My family, I'm a proud mama of two kiddos, um, one of which who's on the spectrum and one of which lives up in Wisconsin. Um, They took a gap year from school, but they are up there for UW-Madison studying. Um, My youngest is a sophomore in high school, so a transition-age youth and teenager, which is always fun. Um, So Mm. I, like many parents, are just working and navigating school, home life, um, and the teenage years of a child with different abilities. And is that kind of what got you a little bit, or what got you engaged in, in this type of work? Was it wilder? Uh, no, I think that ultimately um, I was raised <clears throat> excuse me, by a very caring mother who was also a nurse. And she worked in a nursing home for 38 years. And so growing up, I spent a lot of time at the nursing home. So when I was in college, um, I actually got my degrees in art. Um, when looking for a job, a friend of mine suggested working at a group home and being into direct service. So at 19, I started doing that and thought that I would leave it eventually. And then after my master's program, I ended up working for CTF and I worked for them ever since. So the journey has just kept happening in different ways. Um, Went back to school a few times (laughs) Uh and then Uh just most recently landed on getting a second master's in psychology, becoming a BCBA, um, just really to meet the need within the area. Um, when I was a younger parent, and or I should say when Wilder was younger, um, there were not many resources for me. 
and I was supposed to be my own resource and it was very challenging. And when you have a child with autism, you're told to um, seek out ABA services or applied behavior analysis, which is given by a BCBA, a board certified behavior analyst. And um, many probably recognize that that is not a resource that is available in our area or in most rural communities. So um, I just didn't want any other parent to feel that way. So um, my goal is to create resources and to link people to what they need um, and help them feel less alone on their journey and a little more empowered, right, to know what to do as a parent, you know, as you're struggling or, most importantly, as you're enjoying your children. Yeah, I think that that probably has given you great insight, you know, to just having Wilder and the struggles that come up. You kind of get to practice it just like in real life, you know, and... Mm -hmm. But, you know, what great insight our kids give us anyway, you know. Um, Okay, so why don't you tell us a little bit for maybe somebody that's never heard of it um, and, like, what kind of services do you provide? Sure. Well, CTF Illinois is part of a greater autism network, the Autism Program of Illinois. Um, That is at tap-illinois.org. So anyone in Illinois can go on that website and actually put themselves in for a referral. And then there are 20 sites um, within that network providing services. So um, here in Charleston, we have CTF Illinois and then also Eastern Illinois University just joined our network this year. Um, So for us, the main focus is consultation for parents based on ABA principles. So the most common question or resource we get requested is for ABA therapy. Um, I recognized very quickly that there was not a way to really meet that need um, individually by seeing kiddos. Um It's not covered by Medicaid right now. Um, A lot of insurance aren't covering it. So what the autism program has allowed me to do is to do parent consultation and training um, based on the ABA principles, but empower the parents to kind of act as their own clinician within the home. Um, Yeah, that's really great. I like that dynamic. So I remember whenever Landon was first diagnosed and I kind of searched around for ABA and I think I found something possibly in Champaign at the time. And I don't think there was anybody available. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of kept running into that door. Um, So people who don't, maybe parents have never heard of ABA, which I think maybe most parents probably have heard that term. Um, And you told me what it stands for. but what is like, what exactly would, does that look like as opposed to maybe a different type of therapy, behavioral therapy? So ABA is based on the functions of behavior and um, how you an- analyze that. So I think the, the main difference is that we're not just looking at the behavior. We're looking at what function is it serving the child or the person. Um, there are four determined functions of behavior. And once we can identify the function of the behavior, then we can look at skill building and replacement behavior to serve that function 
uh, but in a more appropriate way. I see. Mm -hmm. um, now, some parents I've had, I kind of put some feelers out a little bit with some parents about some questions. And one parent had suggested that she had heard there was some concerns with ABA therapy. Have you heard this before? And why might, why might that be? Of course, in the same breath, they're not, there's not enough ABA therapists available for the demand. So I just kind of find that kind of odd. But have you heard before that there's concerns with that? Yeah. So I think that with any... Um clinician or field of practice, you are going to find good and you are going to find bad. Um, I use Greg Hanley's technique as far as ABA, and that's a child-led ABA. So what I'm looking at is um, not just tabletop activities, not just um, uh, sitting there and having the child perform. I'm looking at child-led play. I'm looking at functional ways to... Um, you know, incorporate communication, um, the positive behavior supports, um, reward-based. Uh, so I think that in the past there was this idea that children will be uncomfortable and be forced to do something that they don't want to do. So okay. that kind of has carried over. Um, so I think that that idea of practice may have happened in the past. Um, but I think as a discipline, we're moving way more towards child-led and more environmental play. Um, and it depends on the kid's needs. Now, when I work with a child, could they be uncomfortable because I'm requesting them to do something? Yes. But am I putting them in a position where they're going to harm themselves or others? No, that's not the idea of it. Okay. Okay, great. Yes. Um, and then um, I, you had talked about uh, the parent training, um, the consultations for the parents. And what does that look like? Um, how does like a parent, if they're interested in a training, do they just contact you? How does that work? Yeah. So as far as contacting the autism program um, at CTF Illinois, um, they can do that. I will have to get you that phone number. I didn't write it down. Hold on one second. Fine. I can include that in the comments once I post. Oh, okay. It's the one, it's the 708 number. I don't have it on me. Okay. Right um, so they would contact and then just request a consultation with me. Um, I have a coworker that would take intake and has slots available to schedule times. Okay. And it Great. looks different for each person. So um, I am starting right now an 11-week uh, training based on the Ruby um, Autism um, Network, which is a parent training for disruptive behavior. And that's an actual course. Um, but aside from that course, I do individual consultations. Okay. Great. Yeah, so I did share that on REP. Um, and of course, I know that there was a deadline for that. Is that something that you will repeat? Yes, it will be repeated at least each each year. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, and then also, let's see, I also noticed just kind of a list on the website of different services um, that TAP provides. Um, 
and I just had a question about like I saw where it said new diagnosis family orientation. Yes. So if you have a child that's newly diagnosed with autism, we can provide an orientation training for that parent and their family. Um, I would like to say that anytime I'm working with a parent, it'd be great to work with both. It'd be great to work with grandma. It'd be great to work with any primary caregivers because we want to create a circle support, not just for the child, but for that primary caregiver, right? So that everybody is working together and communicating. So our services aren't just limited to just, oh, one person can come. Um, so I have grandparents involved, I have step-parents involved, um, and people that live with outside, outside of the home that are also caretakers. Um, so that training is specific to newly diagnosed. Um, we also offer trainings for first responders out and going out into their communities. So if your community is one that would like training, um, that would be another service that we could provide. Um, that's for police officers, sheriffs, and for EMTs and firefighters. So that's a popular Great. one. Yeah. Um, daycares, um, do daycare providing, uh, training for daycares. And early intervention training. So, you know, an identification. So how do we see the red flags and have an early identification of um, autism so that we can get the kiddo the supports they need. And I feel like a lot of times, just, I guess as a parent, I feel like I'm always needing training. It's, yeah. it's like <laughs> developing and maybe like you said, like the whole discipline of ABA, how it's developing and changing. And I feel like as a parent, I do that too. And so um, it would appear to me that other professionals, like the family practitioners, the early interventionists, I mean, I would really love to get my hands on that if I were them. Just some new training and just being equipped to work with these kids. Absolutely. Um, you know, I have a nephew that's now a surgeon. And when he was going through med school, he said he probably got about an hour on working with people with disabilities through his whole um med school experience. So in the likelihood that you are going to be working with someone um, with a disability or with autism, you know, is pretty common. CDC just came out with a one in 36 um, children are being diagnosed. I believe that was last Thursday's article. So it is we are getting larger numbers because there's of the early identification, but with that, we need to educate our community, our schools, our first responders mm -hmm. on what that looks like and how do we support that community. Mm -hmm. So how does like a family, if they're kind of like, wow, I would really, I wonder if my, I wonder if my fire department knows, I wonder if they've had training or I wonder if my, my uh, child's teacher at school has had this training. Sometimes as parents, it's very uh, intimidating because we kind of feel like, well, we're not a professional and they probably know more than we know. Um, how, how would we go about reaching out to find out if they've had recent training and what are some words we can use to uh, just kind of keep maybe that open, that bridge of communication? Yeah, um, I think that what you'll find with the history of disability services, it was parent-led um, and more um, mother-led also. So that is the continuation. 
I believe you are a parent, you have become an advocate by default. So in saying that, asking the questions, you know, of the teacher, of the fire department, calling, making that phone call, but not just asking, but saying, I have a resource for you. Would you mind, um, you know, is that something you're interested in? Uh, May I have your phone number for them to contact you? Uh, Would you like to contact them? Would you like more information about it? Um, you know, mm-hmm. I've found that especially with first responders, it does start with a parent that reaches out and then helps facilitate that beginning part, part um, especially in smaller communities where the forces usually um, volunteer. So, you know, um, I think that's a really important. You have your community members showing up at your crisis. You're living in that community. And if you are living with autism, we want to make sure that that the people are informed that they're coming to your door. That's great. Um, Okay. I also had, um, oh, also another upcoming event that you have that I posted was a carnival. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the carnival that's coming up? Sure. That's April 15th from 10 to 11. That's at 914 17th Street in Charleston. Um, It is an autism-friendly carnival, but not just autism-exclusive. So, you know, we really want to make sure that families feel welcome, that there are other kids there um, to serve as models as well. Um, We are going to have a room for sensory exploration. We are going to have a room for Dr. Seuss exploration. (laughs) And then we have a larger area that's more gross motor and has the ball pit and some different obstacle courses and things. Um, We are gonna be supported by volunteers from EIU. Um, They will all be undergraduate students in their speech and language and communication department. So that's a very nice blessing. Um, We collaborate a lot with Eastern Illinois University um, and really appreciate of that collaboration. So if if people are interested, they just need to show up. (laughs) Okay, yeah. And um, you mentioned about um, not just for autism, but maybe some other disabilities. I know that you had said before when we've talked um, that a lot of your strategies that you guys help and teach are transferable to other disabilities. Um, What um, can you give me an example of something like that? Yeah, so through ABA specifically, we're looking at the function of the behavior. So that can be you or I's function of behavior. So I, um, and it could be a person with a disability's function, you know, of behavior. That doesn't discriminate. That doesn't change based on the person or the diagnosis. So we're looking at what is the behavior, what function is it serving for that person, and then what skill are they lacking um, in order to not have to have that maladaptive or inappropriate behavior. So it's transferable against for age groups, diagnosis, um, again, really just focusing on strategies. Um, how do we help someone get to where they need to be from where they're at? Right. Mm -hmm. And just kind of that recognition Mm -hmm. of, um, A lot of times when we see kids act out, it's not because they're bad kids. It's because they don't have the skill or the communication to do elsewhere, you know, to do it a different way that's more accepted. 
I feel that like a lot of times if a parent reaches out to me, um, there is some disruptive behavior in the home. And sometimes we hear things like, well, they don't do it at school, but then they do it at home. So the, the teachers are telling me that it's probably just something I'm doing at home. And I, you know, what would you say if a parent kind of said that to you, just to kind of encourage the parent and help them understand that a little bit? Uh, so in our environment really dictates a lot of our behavior. Um, so one thing I find, especially with kids with autism, is that at school it's highly structured. The expectations are clear and the same day is the same day. Maybe some variance, right, between maybe specials or that kind of thing. But for the most part, they can really count on that structure. When we get home, that structure can fall apart. And it's also a safe place. Um, unfortunately, most of us um, let our guard down and our emotions show towards the people that we care about the most and who care about us the most. And it's no different for a child with autism. Um, also, our kids are working really hard at keeping together all day. And so sometimes by the time they get home, they don't have the tools. Not like they do when they begin the day. Um, so for a parent, I always say we're all doing the best we can with what we got. Um, and then I would lean to, you know, what can we do to help structure your evening so that you aren't having the disruptive behaviors? Um, because you don't want that. We want to be able to have our child come home and enjoy them, right? Enjoy the evening, um, spend time with them. Um, and that's my, usually my number one recommendation actually for parents is dedicated playtime, um, with a child, on a daily basis, because as we're going through this hectic life, it's very easy to lose sight of that one-on-one -on -one time because the have-tos, you have to pick them up, you have to make dinner, you have to get baths, you have to, you have to. Well, I would say I, we have to play because that's how kids learn and that's how kids enjoy you. Um, so that's usually my number one recommendation. It takes a lot less time to play than it does to, um, kind of, uh, follow somebody around and, and when they're getting into all your stuff and all of those kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I always feel so good after I talk to you, Reagan. And I feel like, I guess, um, as an experience I would share is, when I first started REP, I honestly, you were probably the, I mean, I didn't even know you, but I had heard of TAP. And so I thought, well, I'll reach out to this TAP place, you know, and see what they have. And I think at the time you guys had just started getting funding back. Yes. Um, and I just remember thinking, oh gosh, this could be a great mentor for me. Like, you know, and I could identify a lot with the things that you said. Um, Wilder's just a year older than Landon, I think. Landon's 14. Mm -hmm. um, and I really felt like, wow, like just reaching out into the community, we can really get the support we need. It's just sometimes making that phone call. So I guess for my listeners, I really want to stress the importance of, you know, reaching out. I know that sometimes it's hard to pick up the phone nowadays, you know, we're so into texting and I guess an email's fine too, but um, just to know that TAP, something like TAP is out there, um, you know, now that I've always talked about Reagan, every time I talk to a family, I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, you need to call Reagan, you need to call TAP. 
And so I just them getting to hear you that can kind of familiarize them a little bit and uh, just be willing to pick up the phone, make the appointment and see how TAP can help their family, you know. Yeah. And I think oftentimes it's just validating to know you aren't the only one that's struggling. You know, um, very rarely is somebody calling me because they're having a great day. And I get a lot of phone calls. <laughs> so <laughs> you're one of my few. You, you usually do have something good to say. But, um, you know, just knowing, you know, you're not alone and that um, it is difficult, but worth it for this journey for us to support our kids. Um, and it's ebbs and flows just like it would with any other child. So anything that we can do to support each other or figure out um, how to make it a little bit easier. And, you know, that's, that's what I think we're really here for. That's great. Um, okay. Is there anything else you want to share with us about TAP or maybe something that you hadn't mentioned yet? Um, I will mention uh, that EIU, like I said, has come on as a TAP member this year. Last year, um, they were under contract under CTF with the autism program, but we have developed a multidisciplinary um, diagnostic center, and it is modeled um, off of what I have seen at some different hospitals. Um, but it is definitely the gold star. Now we are at a waiting list for screenings, uh, you know, the wait list for the diagnostics. But for those parents um, that do get the service, they are getting a psychologist, a psychiatrist, um, a special educator, a BCBA, an occupational therapist, a speech and language therapist, as oh. well as um, the ADOS and ADIR, which are your gold star as far as diagnostic tools. So I'm very proud of our community. Um, for me, it took 18 months and a lot of navigation to get my son to a neuropsychologist for diagnostics. Um, so to have something so close to home and something so valuable, I'm just very proud of it. Um, and one of the things that I think is very different and unique is that once you're on the waiting list, you are looped back to the autism program at CTF Illinois. Wow. So while you're on the waiting list, you will receive services as far as behavioral guidance um, and navigation of services. And that was that very was important great to me. System. Yes. Very important to me. Um, another thing that we built in that um, was important for me personally was at the end of the diagnostic process, there of course is a wealth of information, the huge report. Um, and we set up the opportunity for me to go through that report with the parents um, so that they, if they have any questions, um, and it could be about a specific assessment, it could be about linkage, um, but just so that we have a chance to go through and make sure that they truly understand what's being said so that they can convey that message to the schools, to the teachers and whoever else is going to be involved in that kid's life. Wow. I'm like blown away by all of that. I mean, just the fact that that, that team, that support, yes. um, 
Because what I hear very often um, on our support page, on other local communities, uh, special needs support pages for parents and groups, they're always asking, um, I need a diagnosis, where can I go? Um, and there's usually only like one or two names. And like you had said, did you say 18 months for you and your son to really yes. try to find somewhere? Uh, I think Landon was probably close to the same. Um, but this is like a built-in team. Like, I love yes. that. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you really get a whole picture diagnosis and differential diagnosis as well. Um, our first year, you know, it was based more on the model of yes or no versus the autism question. Yes, you meet criteria or no, you don't. And this year we've really been able to build this team. So it's not just yes or no, it's yes and this, no and maybe this, and here is what we can do to help support you and your family. Okay, so I can probably include a link or just some information in a comment on this once we post the podcast for mm -hmm. parents to be able to call or, or email yeah. about this information. I will give you the phone number for EIU for them to call and request to be put on the waiting list. Um, okay. And once they do that, um, they'll get paperwork that they have to turn in, and then they'll be confirmed with the waiting list. So I have that number here. Okay. Um, if you Do you want to just email that to me, and I'll post it? Yeah, I'll email you that in our, our phone number as well. Okay. And then as far as like if a parent asks, okay, well, how much does this cost? Is this covered by insurance, the diagnostic? I don't think you've mentioned that yet, have you? No. So for EIU, it's a sliding scale. Um, right now, they're not taking insurance. It's an out-of-pocket um, fee for service. So okay. I believe it is anywhere from $600 to $50, which in saying that, um, your the value of that, even if you're paying the full amount out of pocket, is uh, probably close to $4,000 at least. When I look at all the pieces and what we are reimbursing our professionals in order to, to, to provide the service. Um, yeah, because the, the, what I kind of see with this model that you guys are doing is I hear parents that um, can't seem to get collaboration with their doctors or their therapists. Mm -hmm. um, and it, in this aspect, it seems like it's already built in support that's already, um, it already has that circle, like you said, it's like a, just a circle of support. Yes. So that's really great to hear. Mm -hmm. In regards to CTF Illinois and the parent consultation, that's free. Um, that is uh, funded through the autism program and the Department of Human Services. Um, and then- Does there for, need to be a diagnosis for that? No, uh, one of the beauty, uh, beauties of the autism program is that a child doesn't have to be diagnosed in order to receive services. So that's how we're able to support families that are on the wait list. Great. Okay, well, gosh, this has been great information, and I hope our listeners um, are intrigued and 
Um, we will make sure that we share all of the links and phone numbers, contact information in the comments of the post once we post the podcast. Um, I guess I would leave Reagan with asking you, do you have any favorite podcasts, authors, or other professionals that inspire you that you'd like to share? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, my favorite podcast is Hidden Brain. <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, so that psychology geek in me. Um, so it's not autism specific, um, but it is... It's something where every time I learn, listen, I learn something new about human behavior and uh, that's important to me. And I think it's really unpalatable too. It's an easy listen. Great. So, Very cool. Yeah. Hidden brain. Hidden brain. Mm -hmm. I have to check that out. And I'm well, not much of a reader. I wish I was, but I'm not. No. Just articles. Well, <laughs> I feel like what I said before, if you're listening, you can still do work, multitask and, you know, do other things while you're listening as opposed to reading. Yes, um, absolutely. Well, I believe that this concludes this episode and I want to thank you so much, Reagan, for all the information you shared. And I'm hoping that our listeners can um, learn about this resource uh, and that it could be helpful to them. Um, and until next time, I just want to say to parents, remember that you know your child best and you are your child's best advocate. And with that, we'll conclude the episode. Great. Thank you for having me. I can check it off the bucket list. Yes. Thanks, Reagan. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.